cracking lovely people welcome to the big feed up hq podcast thanks for downloading and listening in and the podcast generally focuses on nutrition movement and outdoor experiences i have up and available 150 episodes maybe more by now actually to you and if you like this one and you're interested in exploring more then please look back see which other titles resonate with you and i hope you find something useful the show is supported by 33 Fuel, who produce natural and powerful sports nutrition products. Use Matt10 at checkout for 10% off your first order. So if you're keen on exploring natural sports nutrition-based products for fueling and recovery purposes, definitely take a look. I use a tablespoon of their greens powder in my morning smoothie, or I'll just put it with water and neck it first thing. And when I train for the ultra marathon that I do once a year, I use their chia seed energy gels. They seem to sit really well. The show is also supported by Attack the Day. Now, ATD combined fitness, adventure and outdoors in order to bring together a community of like-minded athletes and weekend warriors who love getting outside for epic adventures and inspiring others to live a more active and healthy lifestyle. Check out their great outdoor clothing, adventure and lifestyle clothing and gain 20% off your first order with Matt20 at checkout. I don their beanie for some of my running and a bit of outdoor training. Seems to fit really well and I've got one of their long sleeve zip ups like a mid layer. It's brilliant. The show is also supported by Jim Jam. Now Jim Jam have created to empower people to achieve more and create sustainable change. It's a digital platform with genuine human interaction where you get a designated coach who helps you achieve goals through regular in-app messaging and video calls. So each coach is trained in an evidence-based approach called motivational interviewing to truly put the customer's health and well-being at the heart of everything they do. So Jim Jam, Attack the Day and 33 Fuel, all the information's in the show notes. And if you want to have a bit of a chat, about any of it then just reach out if you like the show please share it with someone lovely people ultimately it's the only way the show will grow and it'll be brilliant if you could subscribe on apple Podcasts, soundcloud or spotify and leave me a review on apple Podcasts too it basically just helps more people find the show so today i welcome daniel martin performance nutrition practitioner and researcher to the show so Dan is a postdoctoral researcher at Liverpool John Moores University, working on a range of jockey and horse riding based research, with emphasis ultimately on weight making practices. So in practice, boots on the ground out in the field, Dan works privately with all equestrian sports athletes from professional jockeys to our Olympic equestrian team. He's a performance nutritionist for Haas F1 team and Southampton FC football club. So he's a busy man, really looking forward to getting into things, lovely people. So let's have a conversation with Dan. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure. It's, it's excellent to have you on. And um, how's the coffee this morning? Are you, are you feeling good? Are you kind of raring to go? Coffee was good. I, uh, I followed your inspiration on, on Instagram. I had two cups, so we're... Uh... Hopefully firing all cylinders now. So look, mate, it's um, it's an interesting one to kind of pick apart what you do, but I think it'll be great for the listeners to hear a little bit about 
you know what what being a performance nutritionist means to you um, and maybe just a little bit of a background about how you got into things um, and then I think we can really pick apart a few a few strands and, and find a bit of a synergy with um, a previous guest as well and you know a performance chef meets a performance nutritionist conversation so you know wh- where are you in the world at the moment how, how are you getting on um, would, would probably be first mate yeah um geography wise i'm i'm based in west yorkshire so i live in a little village um right next to a place called pontifract um foodies might know what pontifract cakes are little um little pieces of licorice heaven and that's basically between leeds and, and york it's about 20 minutes to leeds 20 minutes to york so that's the geography um and things are things are good um i live on a little farm and um, so i've got a, a fair amount of space outside so not necessarily um cooped up in a, in a house or, or in an apartment which is which is quite good um and yeah with the with the range of work that i've got um looking across a few different sports and thankfully it being um on the whole received as uh, professional elites um, most of the work still going off so um from that perspective um really fortunate well, yeah that's excellent and obviously you've had to then craft out working from home and, and things like that are you still are you still traveling to any any of these sites with any of the work you're doing or is it all kind of positioned at home through through zoom and and you know a lot of, of these like long distance meetings and things now yeah it's a little bit of a mixed bag um some for example that the meetings that i have working with uh, the professional jockeys association that's usually trips down to, to Holborn right in the middle of London, those have obviously stopped, so we've, we've adopted much more remote working practices um, with jockeys generally speaking. Um, however, in football, working for Southampton, um, that's still very much um, in-person, face-to-face, um, just following the, um, I guess, the social distancing guidelines and the, and, the, and the rules that have been put in place from the Premier League. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Mm. Um, which is which I think is a good thing. Um, sometimes my, my travel schedule was a little bit relentless, and now it's a little bit more, a little bit more manageable. So silver linings and all that. Yeah, trying to find a bit more balance on the farm. That sounds brilliant. And looking at, you know, with the majority of my guests, we connected through Instagram and seen some of the snaps of the farm and, you know, some of the vehicles and things you probably drive around and stuff, mate. It looks absolutely brilliant. So, I think maybe the 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 first questions around. You know, are you a football fanatic? Are you a racing fanatic, or or is it a is it a bit of both? You're you know you you you're clearly a very experienced practitioner, been working in nutrition and research for quite a while, um and and was it a case of taking opportunities as they come, or did did you really kind of want to get into those two sports because because you you know you, you really you really love them, you kind of quite value them. How how did that go? Yeah, you know, good. Um... I come myself a sports fanatic rather than a particular like a like a football or or a racing in particular. Um, growing up where I live, the the sport that you are just that is ingrained into you is rugby league, and that's the sport that I grew uh, I played growing up, um, and was a, a main fan of. But like any any young lad that's into sport, you'll watch anything that's on the TV, you'll play any sport that's that's put in front of you, whether that's tennis, cricket, football, um, anything. Um, so it wasn't necessarily a case of I wanted to work in, in football or racing per se um, initially. Um, but as I knew I wanted to follow the nutrition route, I wanted to look at the, and I still do want to aspire to work at the very highest level. And for me, um, I think Formula One is the pinnacle of, of performance sport. Um, and certainly 
football's a national sport and the pinnacle of that is is obviously the Premier League and you, know, you aspire to work in the Champions League and maybe national teams and things like that. Um, so once I figured out I wanted to work in sport as a, as a profession, naturally, um, I guess my personality gravitated towards what's the highest level I can work at. And for me, Formula One and, and Premier League football was those. And yes, I'm working in them now, but that doesn't mean I've, I've achieved everything I want to achieve. Um, there's, there's always more. Hey, that is exciting. No, that's brilliant. It's brilliant to hear. And, um, you know, with, with, if we pick on just quickly those those two high performance environments, um, like boots on the ground, have you're now quite experienced um, in those environments. But how how do you how do you feel and what's it like in in both sets of high performing teams and things? Is is there is there quite a a big difference when when you're in it in the football side of things and then when you're in it boots on the ground in the F1 side of things? I just feel like. Maybe the F1 side of things, the pace, the heat. I know you're not necessarily there on race day every time, of course. But, um, yeah, just trying to get a feel around how, how, how those environments are, you know, when you're actually there with, with the athletes, but then just stepping back and taking stock of the, of the environment. What's, what's it like in, the, in those two places? Yeah, um, you're right. I mean, in the... In the garages of F1, you, you constantly, or not not necessarily me, but the team, is constantly working backwards from the next deadline. The, the, there's, there's rules behind the scenes that uh, when you're watching on, on TV that you wouldn't be aware of. Um, but there's, the, the clock's always ticking um, for when the car's got to be ready for um, for the car to be inspected or it's, it's got to be ready for, for free practice or then for qualifying, etc. So it's a million miles an hour, and there's there's 40 odd mechanics working on the car at any one time. You've got another 40, 50 engineers and officers doing um, like software um, changes, etc. So it's a it's a real high pressure environment. It's fun, but it's a real high pressure environment. Um, and you, as whether you're a nutritionist or a physio, just any ta- any any member of the of the team, um, you've just got to fit in what you can, where you can in in just in those circumstances at the factory it's a lot more relaxed and you can get some more way much more one-to-one time um, with any of the guys that need it um work on some personal goals etc so it, it really just depends on where where you are whether you're at the factory in Banbury or whether you're in a in a garage in Singapore it really just depends and the, the football side of it um everything's working to, to time scales but it's a lot more relaxed like the lads tend to we intentionally set um, time scales across the day so it's not frantic so the lads come in early to make sure they've got time for breakfast and there's a good time to let them digest have some pre-rubs get um, get changed into what, what kit they need etc um, and, and naturally there's times through the day where you can pick up some good one-to-one time that could just be grabbing a coffee on the sofa having five minute chat in the, in the, in the corridor or whether you know, you're there whilst they're having the the, the calf or the, the ankle strapped, you can just sit up the other end near the head and just have a, have a little chat away. Um, and then obviously once on the field, it's I, I tend to work on, on strategy-based stuff, and um, like the admin. Um, so yeah, two very different, um, two very different environments. But um, there's always an air of um, performance. Uh, there's a whiff of performance in the air all, all, all the time, and I don't know. That's what that's what I like. That's what sort of keeps me. Keeps me turning up and yeah, keeps me keeps me honest, keeps me keeps me grounded. Yeah, it's that sense of fulfilment, isn't it? With 
uh, like repetition and how it sounds like there is there is a bit of a, a balance between obviously we're, we're working on the clock um there's there's precision with everything we do but from from your side as a nutrition practitioner some of the some of the most valuable conversations are potentially on you know on the fly per se with let's just sit down you know five minutes how's how's the week been um you know having a coffee obviously in in a bit more of a, of a relaxed environment and just um you know getting the athlete if it's football or a driver to not necessarily just open up but maybe just re- reflect on the food side of things and focus on that when when maybe their their minds aren't going at 100 miles an hour and and, and their bodies aren't competing so it's um yeah it's, it's an interesting side of things with that isn't it it is i think sometimes the art of the conversation it I quite often find athletes don't necessarily like to be quizzed or feel like they've been quizzed or interrogated. So you've just got to make it natural, which is two guys chewing the fat having a coffee. Mm. Um, and when I first go into a club, there's a lot of information I want to know about each individual. And if I ask all that in one go, it'd, it'd take a long time. And after five minutes, they'd, you know, they'd be wary of thinking like, Dan's just grilling me, he's asking a lot of questions. Um, so yeah, I just chop it up into into heaps of different mini conversations and some will last longer than others and the, the more nitty gritty stuff naturally I can ask later down the line once that relationship's been built but I spend a lot of time in the beginning just getting to know them as, as people I'm not really that bothered about um, what's going on nutritionally yet I just want to know who who's who are you as the who is the who are you as the human as the person and then naturally I get to figure out who you are as the athlete and then your practices around that um, and yeah it doesn't always have to ultimately it's cliche it depends on the individual some people like to be away from the squad let's have uh, the door closed and let's get into it other players just want it to be um yeah a lot more soft and just just as and when and does that potentially come with experience obviously as, as a practitioner because you know definitely part of the work that you do again um research focused very precise periodization considering the long game you know a, a lot of that detail that you might not that you hold back but you might not necessarily discuss like you said straight away with the, the rest of the high performance team and the the athlete you know in in, in question um have, have you found that that side of things you've you, you've then learned over time or have you always have you always been able to find that balance between being very being very technical very science-based and evidence-based and being able to not switch that off but just just keep that at another side and then you can be very kind of conversation-based bit more colloquial so that's something you've had to work on or do you think you've you've naturally always maybe been able to find that balance um prior to being a nutritionist and working in in professional sport um for five years i was a like a college lecturer so teaching like 16 to 19 year olds like a level um, and did a little bit of like on year one of a degree. Um, though the skills that you're learning though, or I learned in those five years dealing with young adults, you've just got to be chatty. You've got to be very grounded, very, um, just, just generally the skills of being a teacher um, helps me a lot moving into um, professional sport from a communication point of view. Um, I remember the first time I ever even, um, like what they used to call it team teaching if it were when you were teaching when you were, when you were studying to be a teacher you do team teachers with them more experienced and the first time just speaking to a group of 20 16 17 year olds you absolutely cack your pants it's so nerve-wracking but after you've done it for five years i mean on average as a college lecturer you were 
teaching about 850 hours, sort of, you know, so sort of speaking, but teaching 850 hours a year. So you think actually over five years, we've done about four or 5,000 hours worth of, of teaching, communicating, some of it one-to-one, some of it with parents, just different levels of ability, some um, some real gifted, talented kids who you know are going to go far in life and some, you know, some kids who are from difficult backgrounds or education is just not their thing. Um, so having to learn how to temper my communication style for different people and make some complex stuff really interesting or make some complex stuff really simple for different people really set me up well to come into performance sport because you've got the same challenges. You've got some athletes that want to know everything. They want to know the mechanism of action. If I, if I take this supplement or I eat this food at this time, mm. why, why should I? I want to know about the mechanism, I want to know about the science. Which you've got some guys who are saying, I don't care, just tell me what to eat and when that, and I'll follow it. And you've got naturally the people that fall fall in between. Um, so I think I always had the ability to do that. But when you get your first job in sport, and I think this is natural across all nutritionists and probably all physios and RSCs, when you first come in, you want to um, validate your position there and you feel like you need to prove that you're smart enough and you've got the knowledge to be in this environment. And I think you naturally end up giving too much information that people don't necessarily need to know. You're there on merit and you don't always feel like that when it's your first role. And I feel like it's a bit of a fluke, imposter syndrome's huge. I think when you first start working in pro sport, so you naturally, um, over the years, um, I found a balance between, um, yes, communication, but how much information do I need to be giving out early doors and how much of it is just actually um, being a good person, developing those relationships, and naturally you'll figure out who wants what information and how to give them it. Mate, that's a brilliant answer. And I think if people, say, j- jump onto your Instagram or your Twitter or something after this and, and, and they look at what you're posting and, and bits in the bio and things like that, um, the good thing about podcasts that you can you can have these extended conversations and you can just hear a bit more about your background because you know obviously we've been chatting for a little while I had no idea about your 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 teaching experience at the start there and how that's you know how potentially that's led to you know some some of your real successful work in terms of just building relationships um in in pro sport um yeah that is that is that's a winner so I think before before we maybe dig into you know some more of the boots on the ground stuff and I know we wanted to have a bit of a chat about um your your work and experiences with performance chefs and things um mate how do you find balance you know you're you're a busy guy and obviously everything's um you know quite quite full on your experience now but are you you know are you a foodie at heart or um do you like getting outdoors or um i don't know do you like just putting your feet up when you come back from these high performance environments you know how, how do you find the energy then to to or you know how, how do you recharge and restock to then go again on a daily basis yeah, maybe it's a good question because maybe I should ask myself it sometimes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the food side of it, yeah, I, def- I definitely would consider myself a foodie. Love um, love cooking, love scratch cooking, but then again, love eating out, lo- love eating different, um, trying trying new things. Um, I think it probably stems from being a kid, again, because I was a sporty kid, I was active, I was never in. And certainly as I become a teenager, probably 13, 14, 15 years old, um, my mum would make food for, for the family, but obviously I, I'd still be out and it'd be waiting for me. And then I'd come in and, I don't know, sticking something in the microwave, I just think that looks, I mean, 
God bless my mum's food's not that amazing anyway. It, it hit the spot in terms of energy, but not necessarily <laughs> the taste. I come and think I'm not bothered for that. And I used to waste it and I ended up making my own stuff anyway. And it got to a point where my mum would like saying, um, I'm not making food anymore. You can make you can make your own. Um, I'm sick of wasting food. And it was sort of fine by me. So I think I've always had the bug from, from, from being quite young, from making my own stuff. And you'll know, obviously I watch a lot of your Instagram videos. Once you, once you get the, once you get the, I guess the bug for for cooking, whether you're good or you're not, it's just an enjoyable process. Um, and some people hate cooking; they think it's a faff and it's a huge effort. If I've had a stressful day, either physically or just mentally, it's been taxing. Um, I love to be in the kitchen, and it's usually on those days when I'm more stressed that I'll probably make a more convoluted and and longer longer recipe because I find it quite therapeutic. Um, so I really. Um, food and the de-stress and the balance is sort of goes hand in hand and when I get to go away either with work or, or whether it's with the missus and, and we take a break the first thing I'm, I'm looking for is where to eat in terms of where are the the, the very best places as in, as in like the finest places to eat but then also where are the real hidden gems the um, the street food the the things with the places where the locals eat um, so yeah food and and switching off and yeah, I think it's a huge part of, of, of who I am. Hey, brilliant. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. Um, I think that, yeah, the the, pro, the process for me, similar to you, is really important. And I've got to admit, in terms of, like, the actual flavour and, and the, the the level of eating of the dish, it definitely comes down to Bryony, my fiance. She's so much better with flavour and actually it tasting good, whereas I will just, um, yeah, I'll kind of bang it in and, li- and like to experiment and things. But I think that's where we work well, I think. She was, she was, when we first met, she was like, you obviously like to get in the kitchen, but, you know, you need to finish these dishes off properly, you know, stop filming them and actually make them taste good. Um, and I'm the same as you with, with the fine dining side of things. It's amazing, like, the produce that these chefs can, can get from their areas and just the level of flavour with a few simple ingredients and just the repetition as well. There's something amazing in that, you know, when you get that plate of food and you know someone has worked on it and worked on it. Um, but then, yeah, that... I don't know if it's gluttony, but that kind of like, right, street food, holiday, you know, let's just get amongst it. Um, You know, just let the stomach do its thing in the next few hours after that, but you're not really worried, you know. But then usually it sorts itself out, so you're okay. Um, But, mate, that's that's brilliant. It's good to get the insight. And I think from, you know, from my point of view and and running running this show, I'm quite selfish in terms of I quite like to hear about people's foodie experiences and things like that too. So, um, yeah, yeah, hopefully that you know, that's something people are interested to hear as well. Cause it's not always asked, is it? You know, I'm sure you featured on other sh- other podcasts and things like that. And uh, yeah, they'll have certain ter- talking points about the technical side of your work and things like that. And I like to explore that, but it's also useful to hear your, you know, eating, how eating's a learned behavior and how you kind of got into, um, you know, f- food and, and considering feeding yourself and then speaking to others about feeding themselves as well. So I think it's, a, it's an important point to, to cover, isn't it? It is, and, and, and you're right, I've been on several of the podcasts and um, they're great as well, but you do, you get straight into the nitty-gritty quite quick because that's probably what their, their, their readership or their listenership wants. But I, I personally, um, I find people's stories way more interesting, as, as, as you just said there, and mm. um, people's histories, roots into it, motives behind it, and quite often you, you find that there's some parallels with what you've got. Um, yeah, massively. I think I think it's a, a big, a, a big part of 
um, identifying your maybe your journey or the path that you're going to go down. Sometimes it's not about how do they operate when they're in X, Y, or Z environment. It's actually what's it's behind that and what's what's made this person grow and get get to that point from a personal point of view, not from a well, this is the path that you take because these are qualifications route. I think mm. uh, it's an it's an important part um, of the development process that either researchers or practitioners could could certainly learn a lot from from the from the from the personal um, side of it. Uh, yeah, the personal side of things. Um, yeah, from other guests. Definitely. Um, maybe if we stay on this point for a sec, like in terms of like development, and it sounds like you're, you know, you're 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 a forward thinker, which is obviously clear with the the roles and things you're in, and you know, wanting to succeed in in high performance, and then also, you know, personally looking after yourself. Um, I know, you know, twenty. 2020 2021 it goes without saying it's, it's been such a tough and strange and difficult time for people but um yeah where, where do you see the areas that you'd like to grow then um probably first as a, as a as a practitioner you know obviously people can go through the cv and see that you're, you're doing so many things but it'd be interesting to hear what you know what 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 you what else you're you're maybe wanting to work on or, or what direction you know you'd like to head to in the future it's good to have those kind of future thinking conversations as well isn't it mm. Um, from the purely the nutrition practitioner side of things, there's it, it, there's so many. I mean, keeping up to date with all the because when you break nutrition down and you break sports down into different types, um, my knowledge or my relative knowledge of um, endurance nutrition, for example, uh, was it yesterday or the day before? Um, had a really good. Um, sort of talk from a guy that's the head coach for the pro cycling team and you realize thinking i know more than the man on the street about endu- you know, endurance nutrition uh, for, for a for a professional athlete but mm. compared to my peers that are working day in day out like i know next to nothing but then they probably the, the same side for them maybe around like weight making sports that's what i do a lot of stuff in there mm. so to keep abreast of everything that's going on is is challenging and that's something that i try to do um, but moving, moving, and that's something that you'll, I'll always continue to do. Moving forward, for me personally, um, I don't want to probably be doing diet plans and assessing people and, and writing nutrition plans in my forties. I see myself much more in um, strategic and leadership roles later down the line. So that's certainly an area that I'm reading around at the minute. Mm. Uh, you know, um, you know, theories of around around leadership and management, and really trying to see what people that sit above me in these several hierarchies do, how they operate, how they lead, mm. um, structures that they've developed, the strategies that they've put in place, um, and trying to critique them, ask them questions as well. Because um, more so, yeah, look, I think in the next five years, I'd hopefully see myself going towards those type of positions. Um, so that's really my interest. Um, for the future, um, but as you say, my my interest as a, as a practitioner, um, just try to remain as well rounded as I can, but certainly make sure that the the saw is sharp with the stuff that I need on a, on a daily basis around, particularly working with jockeys and and, and footballers. Yeah, yeah. Again, that's, that's such an insightful answer, like you said, in terms of how you want to grow as a practitioner and then more so into being a leader. Um, again, I think that's not always spoken about with nutrition practitioners as much as always like you said the 
you like to learn learn more boots on the ground from colleagues and peers around endurance nutrition and things and 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 you know keep the toolbox nice and varied obviously double down on your you know the the fundamentals and and some of your um, previous experiences on how to work with people for weight weight make weight making sports and things like that with with um you know the the boxes and the and the race car drivers and things but yeah it's interesting to consider like you said could could you then um be running a high performance team or um you know could could you be considering looking after others who are then cre- you know creating these these diet plans and measuring these athletes and then and then making sure they're having those kind of coffee corner conversations and you can kind of show your experience and how to set that things up so um, yeah, that sounds really yeah that sounds really exciting it's interesting no it is um so i guess watch this space so who, who knows five, five years time for come back on the pod it might be uh maybe as a yeah a, a team leader i mean i i don't know i think traditionally um nutritionists I don't always think are deemed candidates for those type of positions, but mm. I mean, if you're leading a, a multidisciplinary team of, it doesn't matter if it's six or whether it's 12 or whether it's a team of 20, um, I think you need someone that's a, got those good leadership qualities and people that can develop a strategy, see the vision and, and, and manage people and manage the, manage the, yeah, manage what needs doing and, and less so, it's not necessarily the best physio or the best strength conditioning coach or the best doctor or the best sports scientist that needs to be um, in that position. I think you need someone that's got a, who's a good generalist, but more than anything, is a good people person and a, and a, and a person that can can manage and lead well, um, irrespective of what your discipline is. So there are nutritionists that have gone and done that in the past, so it's, I wouldn't be breaking the mould, but. Mm. Um, it'd be yeah not, not necessarily the norm but that's something that i'd i'd like to challenge definitely yeah that sounds brilliant yeah like you said watch the space and hopefully if the pod's still going in five years and maybe you know maybe we get together in person you have a little cook up and a little chat and record that i think that'd be something uh, you know long-term goal with the show it'd be cool to then be able to do that and have a space where it can like uh you know share ideas and conversations and food and things but i don't know about eating you know eating and recording like it doesn't really work it doesn't sound great but I, I like the idea of sharing food having a conversation and recording so yeah maybe maybe if that's a bit of a long-term goal with the pod as well get you back and we can do that yeah absolutely let's make it um you should have my go for saturday kitchen you can be the next man on saturday. <laughs> no. Mate, i don't i don't think i think the i think tv cooking must be incredibly stressful and as you know if you've watched some of my stuff it's a bit on the fly i don't think i think timings down to seconds and lighting and all that kind of stuff i'm not sure i think i'll probably end up setting the place on fire <laughs> oh um but mate i think before before we um we round things off um today the, the one of the points i wanted to touch on um especially if people are um consistent listeners to the show and i had some interesting feedback about um, a recent guest at Performance Chef, um, and and more people are hearing about this this role. Um, Michael from from Bath Rugby, he he was really great to give me some time, and I think when we were having a conversation before before the show, and and hopefully opening up a few wider talking points, things that you might not have you know had a conversation about on other podcasts, were um, that collaboration between a performance nutritionist and a performance chef. Um, so it'd be brilliant to hear your experiences. Obviously, choose whatever you like. I know you cover you cover you cover football, racing, F one. So I'm not sure if 
you've got experiences with personal chefs all the way down to team chefs but how, how do you find that from a practitioner point of view speaking to these you know th- th- these chefs who are obviously putting the food on the plate it's such an interesting interesting area yeah the, the more i work in spot the more i believe that relationship between the performance nutritionist and the performance chef is is key it, 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 it really is and I, I, I think from a and this isn't always a position taken by by clubs or teams but i think having a good performance chef is as important as having a good performance nutritionist or a good club doctor or a good, or a good physio um although i or, or we as nutritionists can bring um information around we've got good um good education and good grounded knowledge around physiological demands of of a certain sport and the fueling requirements and recovery etc we lack in a professional capacity the creativity the palates the flavors the food science that a chef brings and i really think the the combined knowledge of what we bring and what a performance chef can bring together takes the performance nutrition and catering provision at a club or an environment to a, to a completely different level mm. um, and i've worked with non-performance chefs i've worked with the person that's there that you that you're given at that time and they're not a performance chef they're, they may be a chef sometimes not even a chef they're just a, a cook um with no aspect of, of performance um, they know how, they might to an extent know how to make food taste good but there's no appreciation for we we've also got to consider the performance aspect of it um so i, I really think establishing that relationship is is needed just like after establishing it with individual athletes and um, you've got to establish it with the chef and it's not always the easiest thing to do for a, for a few reasons I, like i said i've worked I, I work with now some really excellent chefs and it's like i say it's recently it's only recently like for the last year 18 months that i've realized how a good performance can chef, chef can take the provision to a different level and make my life so much easier and i'm, so I'm not for an easy life but it makes it a lot more easy and it's, it's, it's better sometimes some chefs are a little bit old school um they're not willing to change they're not being down um i didn't feel i don't really think there is a performance nutrition education pathway mm. that you transition into being a performance chef um after you've trained as a, as a as a classic chef maybe so some of them are old school they've come from those backgrounds and they're unwilling to to change or to learn the the, the, the sports angle to that um maybe it's just northern chefs but some of the ones <laughs> I've, yeah, I've dealt with are a little bit neurotic in nature um and they've got um some of them are quite angry i think they used to be in the um the commander-in-chief in the kitchen environment and then i come along step foot across that threshold into the kitchen and they feel threatened by that and i am absolutely not there to to, to be a threatening um, presence i'm there i want to collaborate i want to chat i want to communicate so what's on the chef, you know what's on the menu chef let's have a look at what we've got going on they think i'm trying to pick faults and identify areas that i'm gonna i don't know rip, rip them to ribbons about and it couldn't be further from the truth um and maybe that's a little bit something that i need to work on from i, mean, I think i have worked on but even um even now what is my what first impression am i, am I giving out um but yeah i think the, the earlier you can create those, those relationships 
um, the easier it's going to be for both of you. And, and ultimately, um, it makes you both look better because the foods the foods fit for purpose for what the the head coach or the the head of performance is looking for. Exactly, you nailed it on the head, mate. That that was the term I was going to use. You know, ultimately. The, the food needs to fit fit for purpose and then how can you nurture that relationship to have it do so and then you hope you know the kind of cut of the jib of the the chef you know can make it taste good and the taste profile's there and like you said it's not that you want it to make it easy for yourself but then as a practitioner when you're going in in that environment you know the athletes are, are being fed and the food is fit for purpose so then you're maybe considering your time is spent around what what are you doing outside the club or outside the race course or out or outside the garage you know and and the track so um yeah no that's 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 really interesting mate um look i'm i'm slightly conscious on time i know you need to get on and, and do your um your your slow roasted chicken so uh and, and and obviously like all the work and things you've got to do as well mate so um it's it's been it's been brilliant to kind of get to know the yeah, the, the food side of things and, and um, the way the way you kind of nurture relationships are, are around a lot of the high performance environments you're in stuff. So I think before we head off, mate, how can people keep in touch with you is, is the first question. Um, and then, uh, yeah, obviously, if there's if there's anything that, that you're working on particular that's public facing or anything that you want to let the listeners know about, then then please do so, mate. Yeah, I mean, I try to stay active. Are reasonably active on on social media. Um, Twitter handle is at Nutrition Dan, and I do have an Instagram page, um, which is in fits and starts, but it's the same handle at Nutrition Dan, but with an M on the end of it. So obviously Dan Martin, so at Nutrition Dan M. Um, and in terms of stuff that I've got going on um, at the minute, um, the main bit of work is it isn't necessarily public facing. We've got some really good projects um, underway at, at Liverpool John Moores University. We've got two. Two doctor, new two new doctoral um, students just started, and uh, so myself and, and and the jockey research team, um, have got teeth into some stuff there, some of it around bone health, some really novel stuff around bone biopsies. Um, so when jockeys um, undergoing surgery after um, multiple fractures, if there's any um, bits of bone that normally the surgeon would remove and dis- discard, we're asking if we can actually have that bone so we can have a look at it. Mm. Uh, and yeah, just 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 general profiling. Um, horse racing is is catching up, but it's um, it's probably about ten or fifteen years um, behind the curve in terms of some of the sports science practices. So we're we're playing catch up, and please say we are catching up quite quick. Um, but we still need a really good um, sort of profiling sort of system in place and talent ID. So again, one of the other bits of work that we're doing at the minute is around what makes. Um, a successful jockey, a successful jockey, not just someone that's necessarily short and light, but all the other factors around it. So the the physical, physiological, but then the I guess the socio-cultural factors that surround horse racing. So there's there's a lot of work going on. So some of it will naturally make its way onto Twitter and Instagram. So keep your eyes out. Uh, you know, keep keep your eyes open for for when those things drop. And any questions that you've got, be it about the research or be it about any of my roles. Um, yeah, at Nutrition Dan and at Nutrition Dan M, um, I'd be happy to yeah either either have a chat on there or, or make it a phone call. Brilliant. Yeah, and I can second second that. Obviously, very very approachable. You know, we met through social media handles and things, mate. And I'll um I'll I'll, I'll dig into a, a little bit of um some of the research later. And for people listening, I can I can leave links to you know papers that I think might be quite interesting or you know sites where you can see a bit more on the jockey research side of things because I think people will. 
potentially pick up on that and 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 run with it so to speak so um brilliant mate you know huge, huge amount of value today and um yeah it's great to have these conversations around some of the things that are, that aren't necessarily um you know talked about around being a performance nutritionist and you know being a practitioner in a high performance environment it was nice to take a bit more of that you know 30,000 foot view as they say in terms of your background so uh, yeah thanks no my pleasure and um happy to come on again in the future cool cool all right lovely people well you know let's just hope for a studio a kitchen you know really nice kind of professional setup in the future and then we can have Dan back but look as always it the show you know the show is basically just all around everyone tuning in if you're still listening to this um you know the numbers are growing slowly and I love doing it and and connecting with people like Dan and having great conversations so um if you are enjoying keep listening and, and please share the show and we'll speak to you soon